0: Welcome in ladies and gentlemen to MBR or as we like to call it around here Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about And I pontificate upon them These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about What's up? Really like that. I really like <laughs> that <laughs> shut up and grasp some tape. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome in on a beautiful Thursday evening here on the Film Guy Network. We got a great one for you. Hey, say it every week this time of the week, right? It's Thursday. Last show, best show. We got a great one for you tonight. Uh, a lot to talk about. But what I want to open tonight's show with this. Hey, the money is the root of all evil. It's a saying we've all heard time after time, right? Um, but like I just did, I often find this saying or this, in this case, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Phrase, they're in the Bible, huh? Verse? This verse. verse, this Bible verse is often misquoted, right? Money is the root of all evil. That is not actually the verse. That is not actually the quote in First Timothy 6.10. It's for the love of money is the root of all evil, right? It's not actually placed, the evilness is not actually placed On the money itself but the love the action of loving money is the actual root the basis of the root of all evil and do not fool yourselves ladies and gentlemen every decision that has been made over the last i'd say 48 months around our beloved sport of college football seems like every decision has been based out of the root of the love and the pursuit of money in and of itself, right? Just hours after announcing that we would be expanding to the 12-team college football playoff model, they give us the announcement of the five plus seven that we're going to get. We talked about that on last show. Just hours after announcing that, we hear that, oh, not only are we moving to 12. Oh, yeah, my bad. I was about to say, I'm checking it right now. Not only are we moving to 12, we find out. We find out that these college football, quote-unquote, decision-makers, these guys talked about moving to 14. These guys talked about moving to a 14-team playoff. But wait, not only are we talking about moving to 14, there's more. And a lot of the times when we talk about these these discussions of expansion – the two, the two conferences that are kind of held up in high esteem as, oh, these guys, are, these guys have strong leadership. These guys are always looking out for the betterment of the sport of college football. We trust these decision makers, right? It's the Big Ten and it's the SEC. We find out yesterday, if you did reading, it wasn't just a 14-team playoff that these decision makers were lobbying for. It was actually a decision and a movement that has been created by the Big Ten and the SEC because they're trying to lobby listen to this, four automatic bids for their top four teams in their respective conferences. That's what yesterday was about, that they kind of <laughs> slipped in, right? We talked about this five plus seven model, not having any stipulations about a, a limit for each conference, about how many teams that they could potentially send to a 12-team playoff. Remember when it was originally announced, there was a, a minor stipulation in the fine print that they might limit this to three teams per conference as a maximum of allotment in terms of participants in the college football playoff. Now we find out that, hey, 12's great. We're going to do the 12 thing for 2024 and 2025. We have that under contract. That's fine. But after that, the SEC and the Big Ten have basically, as of yesterday, started to push their chips in on a 14 team model that will ultimately, as I said, give an automatic bid to their top four teams per their conferences right and that would have been fine last year honestly I don't think it would have been a major issue if we would have took it last year you'd had Ohio State you'd had Michigan you would have had Iowa you would have Penn State coming out of the Big Ten and you would have had Georgia you would have Alabama you would have had Ole Miss and you would have had Missouri coming out of the SEC and I don't think that would have been a problem last year but I don't think we can consistently say here every year there's four great teams coming out of the Big Ten in fact The last five or six years, it's really only been two great ones. And you could even extend that theory to the big, mighty, powerful SEC. They only have two national title contending teams over the history of this conference. I would say the last 15 years. It's been about two really good teams. And last year, I would say we had two really good teams and maybe a third good team and maybe a fourth that had some holes in Ole Miss, right? But not every year we're going to have four teams out of each conference that could contend for a national title, but it doesn't matter. Because the Big Ten and the SEC seem like they are aiming to get this done by 2026. And it's all fine. I don't know how they're going to figure out the two-week buy for the top seed. Also, um, by the way, if we move to this four-team automatic bid from the Big Ten and the SEC, um, you can go ahead and throw away the conference championships. They cease to matter nowadays as well. Uh, In this reporting, there was some, hey, don't worry. We'll figure out how to make that game special but they're not going to be able to. All they really care about is expanding these massive, massive playoff, game, playoff games. Which, guys, they draw numbers. I understand it. But what are we doing here? We're, just, we're, we're, de- we're, we're demonetizing and devaluing our regular season more and more by the day. By these quote-unquote college football decision makers. Who before these billion-dollar contracts, I tweeted about this today. We've we've all been following college football most of our lives. Everyone that's here on a Thursday evening watching this right now that showed up and showed up on time. You guys love this sport you have forever. This term college football decision makers, this is something new. This is something that's relatively new in the last 36, 48 months where these mythical beings, these mythical powers who all we get is in, in term and notoriety and in name is college football decision-maker. We all know who they are. They're conference commissioners. They're big-time athletic directors. It's Notre Dame's AD. We know who they are, but we never get full-face names on them because they're making these decisions in the shadows, and we know what the decisions are based on. It's based on that cash. Welcome into tonight's show. We got a great one for you. Okay, it's loaded up. We'll continue to talk about our college football expansion talks. The boys will give you their thoughts on that. The NCAA video game, which is obviously going to be called EA College Football 2025, we're going to continue to call it NCAA video game because that's what we know it as. Hey, you want to play some NCAA? That's going to now get changed to kids are going to have to say, hey. You want to play some EA, EA college football, um, which feels kind of weird. But nonetheless, there's some developments in that storyline. We're going to be talking about that tonight. Johnny Manziel's dad continues to be out here wilding. We're going to talk about that. There was some development in the Nick Saban, Kalen DeBoer kind of power dynamic. We got some details on how that's unfolding right now in Tuscaloosa. We'll be talking about that tonight. Uh, Saban had some truth bombs for us in the world of college football today today. And of course, for you Georgia fans watching today, we're going to be talking about whether or not that boy Billy, whether that boy Billy Napier manages to survive um, his—my batteries died on this—survive um, the 2024 slate. My bad, guys. I, I, I messed up on this. Feel free, feel free to carry some air here, boys.
1: My my thing with this college football playoff expansion is that it feels like – I mean, we're, we're ju- we haven't even started the 12-team expansion. I haven't even gotten into it. I haven't even seen what it looks like, how people react to it or anything like that. And we're already getting this discussion of wanting to go to 14, and I think there's already been mention of going to 16 as well. So what I'm gathering is that en- enough is never going to be enough. This thing is just going to continue to evolve. We're going to keep on adding teams until, I don't know, we basically just call it March Madness and we say – 50% of the field or whatever you want is going to be a part of the playoff. We're just going to have one great playoff run with all of college football.
0: You know, it never seems like enough is enough right now with college football. But you know who always seems to satisfy those needs? Our friends over at Prize Picks. If you run over to Prize Picks today, use promo code Brooks, like you that. get a 100% deposit match. What does that mean? You put up to $100, you will instantly get matched with $100 right there in your account only using promo code Brooks. But I'm right with you. I think the moment we the moment we opened Pandora's box to the expansion of four, my mind said, oh, it's only time before we go to six, and then eight, and then 12. They said, to hell with that. They jumped immediately to 12, and before we could even finalize 12 and figure out how we're actually going to do it, the SEC and the Big Ten was like, ooh, hey, how about 14? 14 sounds kind of cool, too. I'm with you. I don't know when the expansion stops um, and, and when the college football expansion ultimately stops. Also, the ESPN deal apparently – the rumors weren't true. They haven't finalized that contract, so it might escalate even more. You can see why they haven't finalized it, because they haven't finalized the format is what it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. There, there was, there seems there was no end to it. Now, there because we keep getting this expansion and because we keep stretching it, because we keep devaluing the, the regular season – I've seen a lot of talking heads, uh, a lot of people that I I value their opinion. I've seen a lot of people start to kind of clamor for the way that the BCS model was. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not there to say that the BCS model was this perfect model because to me it wasn't. I felt like every other year, every third year, we were left with questions as to whether or not we finalized whether or not we had the best team selected at the end of the year now what does that mean to me it means the best team from september to january that's the team that ought to be crowned at the end of the season now the further and further we get into these expansion models i don't think we're going to have the best team for that year i think we're going to have the best team for that playoff run and that to me is not college football college football is a sport that it's beautiful because you have to at least maintain a, a pursuit of perfection from August until January. And that's why this sport's great. I think we lose that. And I know matter of fact, I know we lose that every single time we continue to kick this can down the road and expand this playoff format.
2: Yeah, I mean just you just have to look at the NFL. How many times have you seen the Super Bowl champion sleepwalk through the regular season to the point where midway through the year, it's even this year, it's like, hey, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs don't look really good this year and they end up winning it all. I mean, I think the fact that the college football system allows for you or, or more forces you to be consistent throughout consistently good if not great, I think that adds so much value to the sport and taking that away, it, it makes it more like the NFL, which I mean, yeah, the NFL is the biggest sports football league in the world, but I don't think I think college football is special because of why. You have to be perfect.
0: And there's obviously countermeasures to this argument, right? There's, there's the discussions of, well, when teams used to lose a game, their fan bases would just disengage because they knew their chances of a national title no longer existed. Now you still keep those fan bases active. And, and that's fine. I, I, I understand that thought process. It makes sense you keep them engaged until at least middle of December if they're an 11th-ranked team, right? I, I just think there's more value to the casual fan all right, the, the fan that's a, a Georgia fan listening today that turns their TV on to Ole Miss, Jackson State, Jacksonville State because Ole Miss is about to get beat into a game that will ultimately ruin their season. Like, that that tension only exists in this sport, literally. It's the only one. Every other sport that you can name right now, every single game does not matter. Like, every single game matters in college football, and it doesn't anymore, and, and it's okay. I guess I'm I'm fine because I understand the value in these playoff games. I understand that our value in December on this network has drastically increased because the games that we're going to be talking about have more notoriety. I understand that. I'm not complaining. I just don't know if it, 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 it solved the purpose, which in my opinion, the purpose is to find the best team. And I don't know if we got that.
1: Yeah, it definitely sucks in the realm of like when we do get into the season, we are going to be talking about when Georgia has to go travel to Texas. We're not going to talk about that game like we used to, like we would have talked about that game last year or years before where, you know, winner of this game, it feels like you're essentially locking yourself into a playoff spot. If you take care of business the rest of the way and the loser, you got some uphill battles to climb. Now it's like, this is just kind of a, a taste, if you will, of what the college football playoff will be because we assume that both of these teams are going to be in the 12-team playoff and maybe we get a rematch of this. So it's just like round one of what we're getting as opposed to like, this is it right here. This is a decision for the college football playoff.
0: Also, if, if I'm looking at this as a, as a power five head football coach at a premier program, you, you might as well call every future uh, non-conference opponent that is a real football team and cancel that contract. There's no point. There's zero point because you're just adding difficulty to your schedule when difficulty to your schedule is not going to be rewarded. You're not going to be rewarded at the end of the season for losing a close game to a a Clemson, okay, when you could have played USF and beat the shit out of them and then just walked into an SEC schedule. So – I, there's value to still doing it, right? Your nationally televised football games and, and, and all the hype and, and maybe college game day comes to that, you know, location or whatever. There's still value to it. But in terms of whether or not it's going to help you reach your goal, which is to win a national title at the end of the year, no. Because now, guess what? You have to play 16 of these. Mm-hmm. So if we can opt to make sure that three of them are cakewalks, by God, let's sign up for that shit right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, and and that's part of what I think the appeal is for keeping the playoff system so low because it, it does allow you to have these pseudo games where, oh, we need to schedule an FCS opponent just because we need it, it's a pseudo bye week for, for yeah. the most part, which is why so many teams schedule that. When you increase the amount of games you're playing in a season just to get to a championship, you're gonna also increase load management. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna we're very soon gonna start seeing. Oh, you know, so healthy and so didn't play yeah. today, or so and so, you know, wasn't feeling well, tweaked an injury because just because load management.
0: I would argue in this, nah, I'm not going to go that far because he didn't look great in the SC Championship game, but I would argue there was a, he's healthy enough to play scratch from Brock Bowers against Georgia Tech. Mm hmm. Uh, you know, for sure. But he obviously wasn't 100% healthy. So, yeah, you, yeah that, that right there, that example. Is going to happen at a much higher rate yeah, and I mean, moving forward. Yeah, and Georgia, in meaningful games. Yeah, in Georgia Tech,
2: for, I mean, obviously Georgia Tech's not anywhere on the program that Georgia is. They are Georgia's in state rival. That's supposed to be the biggest game of the season, and you have your best player sitting out for it because now he was injured, but probably could have played if he really, if it was the national championship, I think Brock Bowers would have played in that game.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Or if the national championship were on the line. Don't even have to be yeah. the natty. Exactly. If, if a chance to win a natty's on the line, you go play. No doubt. Um, and in that case, even under a fourteen playoff, it wasn't because they lose that game and beat Bamba, they're still in. So, um, yeah. I mean, this this idea of gamesmanship now becomes open in, in, in this scenario. For example, like are you gonna are you gonna see teams at the end of the year like we do in the NBA where they start lobbying for positioning? They start. I'm not saying tanking, but they definitely don't try to win games right like what is the incentive to play in an sec championship game at this point right um, examples like that and and do you want a two-week bye do, do we want to take two weeks off and get cold do we do we want to do like there's there's a whole lot of moving parts here all again for the love of money this has nothing to do with anything of of, of protecting the sanctity of the sport or or coming to a correct decision on on who the best team is at the end of the year this is all about maximizing television profits which I mean, I'm fine with it if you're fine with it. It is what it is. As we sit here doing a television show,
2: I would be fine with it if people just came out and said that's what it is. Yeah, like the entire reason we went from four to twelve was because ESPN saw ESPN and a bunch of college football analysts saw how much money playoff games are bringing in, and said, "Why not bring eight more of these? Like, like let's do that. That's what we need. Let's bring eight more teams and make this bigger. Make this a whole big thing for." And you disguise it as oh. We're doing this because we think there's 12 legitimate teams that have a chance at winning national title. That's complete bullshit.
0: We got our obvious answer on what this alliance is between the SEC and the Big Ten. It's a leverage play. For sure. Because now no one's going to tell them no. They okay. can do whatever they want. This this 14 lingering, this, this 14 idea was brought directly from Greg Sankey mm-hmm. and Tony Petiti. And no one's gonna tell them no, because they have all the leveraging power yeah. in the world right now. And that, that to me, as much as you trust Greg Sankey and Tony Battiti Not great. Not ideal. Like no. it's it's not good that they can literally just up and say, Ah, screw it. We'll just go. We'll just go do whatever. Um that that's unique.
2: I mean they've they've created for all all extensive purposes, a super league within this league, correct. To where these two conferences make all the decisions. If you don't like the decisions they made, be damned. Because all they have to do is say, all right, we're we're not playing anymore, and, and they it, lose so much revenue.
0: At that point, if everyone's bending to your will, anyways, why dis- dissolve? Why dissolve? Dis- dissolve? Why dissolve the NCAA when you already have all of the mm-hmm. bargaining power? You are the decision maker, mm-hmm. is what it seems like, right? You can sway all of these things anyway. So why go about the 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 mechanism of having to create this massive super league, if for no other reason than to hope the Saudis buy it for $100 billion. Why even go about this problem if your organi- organizing body currently is bending at your knee? So, I mean, they have what they want um, if they really, really pursue it like they currently have. Um, all right. There's some big news today, I guess, if you want to consider it. If you're a NCAA football player that, you know, plays at like Wofford. Or if you're an NCAA football player that's up at, like, uh, uh, maybe, like, Furman. Rutgers. Oh, no, I, th- I think Rutgers, I mean, $600 ain't going a long way in New York Kent anyways. State. Kent State. Kent players. State, Kent State, State players. Kent State players. Who do KSU players are out getting hammered tonight off that $600. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, but it was announced today that EA's college football game – will allow an opportunity for all 11,000 players, college football players at all 134 FBS football teams to be able to opt in for their name, image and likeness and it will sell for $600 a pop. Oh, and they get a free copy of the game. I ran the numbers 11,000 times 600, $6.6 million is what what this is going to cost EA which is a drop in the bucket for a football game that's going to sell, I would imagine, 4 million copies. Oh, yeah. Oh, NCAA easily. 14 sold a million copies. I would imagine this does at least double that, maybe triple.
1: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it might be the most – the highest-selling game of the year, honestly. Really? I don't I don't oh, know how wide-range... Easily, easily. I just don't know how far out, like, the sports video game fan base goes compared to some of these other games I know nothing about. But, I mean, I, it seems like it's building up to that. When you have this much anticipation, I mean, no other video game that I can remember has had this much anticipation for other than maybe GTA 6 that we're still waiting on.
0: So, my everyone's doing the whole, I hope it's not a Madden clone thing. Which they said it's not going to be. But, like, it's... Didn't NCAA 14 play, like, mechanically a lot like Madden did? No, they
2: were very different. Okay. I don't remember.
0: I don't – I remember what NCAA 14 looks like now because we all still play it. We all have it on remods and we all have it on our PCs and we all still play it. I know what it feels like and I know what Madden does now. But I remember Madden back in the day. I, I was just like an NFL version of what I was doing. They're made by the same company. Yeah. I, I didn't see as much of a drastic change between how they played, in my opinion.
2: If I remember correctly, they used a new engine in NCAA 14, a different engine than what Madden okay. used, which would have been Madden 25 at the time. Okay. So the two games played a little differently. That's back with like when they first introduced like physics thing, where it wasn't mm-hmm. just scripted tackles when you hit a player. So it did play differently. I think the reason people don't want a Madden reskin is because EA has just neglected Madden so much to the point where it's just – There's no – It's ultimate team. it's You get new celebrations with players, and you get the updated roster next year. Like, there's nothing.
0: I will say this about Madden. They've clearly invested a lot of money in biometrically data tracking all of these players, Mm -hmm. so they move like they move. Like, quarterbacks throw like quarterbacks throw. If you play with Rodgers, he looks like Rodgers. Josh Allen looks like Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson feels like that. You're not going to get that in NCAA because I highly doubt they're going to all these <laughs> yeah. programs and dad and no. these kids.
2: God, no. It's, so it, it's
0: not going to be that detailed.
2: And and honestly, I'm gl- glad. I, I would rather it feel much more arcadey than if you want to go play a football simulation, go play Madden. Okay. I,
0: I That's like fair. I
2: like the idea of an arcadey game where you feel like you're Madden, playing a Madden's video Madden's
0: almost gotten too hard. I mean, <laughs> yeah. seriously. Like, as someone who – I can diagnose coverage. Like, I, I can look at it and say, oh, if middlefield's open, you're probably in some type of cover too. Or, ooh, that safety roll down is probably covered. Dude, you you go play Madden right now, and every single coverage that is being played is disguised like goddamn Ed Reed's back there. Like you, you can't <laughs> you can't read anything. They look like oh that looks like he might be in cover one and blitzing, and all of a sudden they're in cover three, and you're like or cover four, and you're like what the fuck is this? <laughs> so just bottom line, I don't think NCAA's game is going to play like that. Good, I think it's like you said, Arcadian is the right going to play Arcadian.
2: And the other the other. And this is just strict video game talk at this point. But the other thing that EA really got flack for was taking out a lot of the features, like like the uh, the franchise mode in Madden's gotten a lot more like bare bones. It's mm. not as detailed and things such as that. Whereas the college football games back in the day had details where you could recruit in Dynasty mode and you could edit stadiums and create teams and create players and things like that. So I think that's more where they're saying this is what we want in the game. We want to play like have more of the features. I don't think game. I don't think gameplay has ever really been that big of an issue amongst players. It's more, where's all the
0: features we had? Yeah. um, The $600, is that enough for you? Yeah. If you're a college football player? Yes. Just, it doesn't even, like, you know.
1: I mean, the way I put it as, is like, that's like someone coming up to me and saying, because you're a journalist or because you're a UGA student, just for that sole fact, we're going to give you $600, a $70 gift card, essentially, yeah. and you get to be in this video game or feature whatever and you don't have to do anything else and then also you can make more money with us by being on social media promotions and other things that's all you have to do you don't have to do anything except do a face scan for us maybe
0: tweet a graphic that we gave you yeah that's it which is what carson Beck did
1: exactly Mm -hmm.
2: and you just get six hundred dollars yeah i mean six hundred dollars in the grand scheme of things definitely isn't a lot yeah but it's six hundred dollars that you wouldn't get otherwise and it's not like It's jersey sales or someone's paying you a flat rate and saying, hey, we're going to sell your jersey. And then they go off and make nine million dollars selling your jersey alone or selling posters of you. It's a video game. So you're going to be featured in it, whereas you're not the sole reason that that game is profiting. Like there's 300 other players on rosters as well. So I think it's not a lot of money, but the alternative of not being in the video game and not having six hundred dollars. Yeah. me in the game
0: that that was kind of my thought process is is there's just no bargaining power for any player like i don't care how good you are right now if you're the best player in college football um if you're caleb downs malachi starks carson beck whoever whoever you think is the most powerful college football player in, in the sport right now you have no leverage i i i was telling the boys this today and i think the chat would agree that's ncaa you know video game players they could generic this thing and we'd all buy it. Like For it, sure. it wouldn't even matter as long as it had the logos and as long as it felt like a football game yeah. and as long as the sound felt good and, and and it's just here. As long as I can as long as I can play it, I don't care if it's QB fifteen. Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. And
2: EA came out with this announcement today that you're not going to be able to create players and add specific like real players into the game. P- people are going to find a way around that within. I was confused by that, because yeah, how are
1: you gonna what's stopping like say for example, I don't know, random UGA players say Trevor etn for some reason doesn't want to be in the football game and he's listed as number seven. What's stopping me from creating a player named Trevor etn and putting him on the roster? like are they nothing. gonna like i don't I didn't understand that part of like you're not allowed to do that like that made no sense to me. I was like there's nothing stopping anybody from doing that. They did say coaches aren't going to be featured in the I game, did see that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby Smart was jumping up and down when he heard that.
0: Coaches make too much money anyways. That $600 is just too much. Can't give it to them. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they said don't.
1: that they will be next year, I think, though, oh. in 2026.
0: Hmm. So they must be trying to figure out how to draw Kirby. Yeah. Because don't you have to – is video gaming still mapping still like that? Is it oh, like I cartoons they do face in the scans. sense that you have to, like, draw things? Dude, and yeah, and most times, like,
1: if you ever do face scans, it's really, like, downloading an app from the video game. You yeah. take pictures of yourself, and then your face is in the game. It's pretty wicked.
0: Wicked? Yeah. I like that. Um, so, you're good with $600. It would have been plenty.
1: Yeah. For me personally, yeah. And plus, like, I mean, it's either, at this point, it's, you either take the $600, you get $600 more than you wouldn't have had.
0: Or you freak off. Or
2: you have nothing. You yeah. you don't get $600 and you're not in a video game. My question, I guess, is, is this a sustainable business model for EA? Like, you're going to fork out. Yeah.
0: You think so? so? It's. I mean, let's say it's $7 million. That's nothing. That's nothing.
2: But, like, even the, year the, by the year. The gameplay
0: development probably is going to cost them $100 million. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Imagine, imagine your product costing you $100 million, and then I say, hey, it's going to cost you another 7% for uh, distribution. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, okay.
2: But not, not even from just a, a payment standpoint, from having to go in and find thou- a 1,000 players, get likenesses, get all the info in, create renditions of they, them. They again. already
0: have an app for it, so they've already streamlined it through this open source company. It was why when it first came out, there was a debate of because there's two NIL companies that have uh, swindled their way into lifetime contracts with all these schools. No different than Fanatics did for all of their licensing. Right. Mm -hmm. There's these two companies. One of them is open source and the other one's the the brand company or whatever. And they have gone about going to all these schools and saying, hey, don't worry about doing this in-house. We'll handle it for you. We want 17 percent on everything that's made here, whatever the percentage is. I don't think it's that high but those two companies battled it out to see who was going to be the representative that handles all 134 open source got the deal. Open source will be brokering all these to all these schools. They have an app where these players go in and they opt in to this contract. I would imagine there's bank statements and bank information given. And then in that, in that portal, I would imagine is something that you're talking about where they can actually data map their face so they don't have to go to all these different mm. places and do all these things, at least. If I were spending $7 million, yeah, we would be doing that. Right. I, I wouldn't be sending representatives to each 134 schools and figuring shit out. Yeah.
2: And, I mean, I, I don't know how the player mapping is going out because I feel like, like, because they pushed this game back already. Like, the, the, a while ago, the release was supposed to be 2023, and then they said, I oh, yeah. we need more time. So, I'd have to imagine that's because they realized, oh, shit. We're gonna have to make a thousand players. We need to figure out a more efficient way to do this. So I, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully the system that they make now, because they said before, like we're doing more likenesses in the video game than they've ever been done before, which is true. So I, I hope that this is a sustainable model.
1: The the funny, the best part about all of this, or I shouldn't say the best part, but the part that's gonna get the most interactions and the most engagements, is when the ratings do get released. And we're going to, everybody's going to be talking about like, dude, what the heck? They put this man as a 77 or whatever else. Like, that's the part that's going to be absolutely wild, just going through the depth charts. Because you're not going to get every single player right. Someone's going to get missed on, or someone's going to get absolutely juiced up on a small team or something like that. That's going to be fun to see.
0: All right. So, $600, enough for the room. Probably wouldn't have been enough money for Johnny Manziel back in the day.
1: No, probably not.
0: Probably would have held out. Yeah. Or at least would have leveraged for some cash payments based off what we found out during his Shannon Sharp interview. Mm. Better put this? me on the cover. No, you look surprised by this. Have you heard about all this? Yeah. This is crazy. So I'm going I'm to I'm read it to the uh, audience. So Johnny Manziel was on an interview with Shannon Sharp That's Club Shay Shay over there on his, uh, by the way, shout out to Fox for letting one of the better ones go. Um, but anyways, so there was a, a, a portion of this interview where there is a discussion about name, image, and likeness. There's a discussion about pay for play. And Johnny Menzel, who left college early after his redshirt sophomore year, um, reveals that his dad, not basically, but did strong-arm Kevin Sumlin for $3 million. Um, Saying basically essentially, not not, not basically essentially, saying, quote, um, give us $3 million and we'll return for the next two years. And now Johnny says that it's as true as the day he told him. And some of these details on this, are absolutely nuts. And the quote right here lets me know that Johnny was very, 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 very familiar with the Bagman system. And this was not the first time that they were gonna be propositioned with a large amount of cash that they would then have to disperse with. And here's how I know this. Because he said, quote, just keep it in cash, throw it somewhere, we'll get it later. We don't need it right now, but for my security, if something happens for two years down the road, And my dad did this without me knowing, and I ain't mad about it for nothing. It's the way the business worked back then. There was a bag man. There was a bag man at LSU. There was a bag man at Alabama. There was a bag man at every school around the country if you were competing for a national title. It is what it was, and it was always that way until we're into the NIL portion of everything now the way it should be, said Johnny Menzel. That quote right there, just keep it in cash, throw it somewhere somewhere. We'll get it later. Where do you throw cash to get it later, boys? Well, I mean... In a closet? Well,
2: you saw what... um You, you watched the documentary. Yes, I did. Basically, like, when he was getting paid to do signings, it was a guy that was like, hey, go up to hotel room 432, sign all these footballs when you're done, I'll give you the combination to the safe. There's $10,000 in it. Yeah. So I'd have to imagine it's something like that, where it's like, hey, yeah, meet here, there's X amount of dollars, do this for us, and then you're in.
1: Now, I've never seen... A million dollars in cash. I have
2: definitely have never
1: seen $3 million in cash. Yeah. But I would imagine it's a large sum of paper bills that you have to Heavy. put somewhere. Yeah. I don't know of anywhere in my house that I could store $3 million in cash. I mean, that that's not just going underneath your bed in a duffel bag or anything like that. That takes uh, not even just a little hotel safe. You can't just find that in a hotel safe. You have to purposely buy fill out a spot or empty out space in your home or dorm room or whatever to stick this $3 million. <laughs> it's not simple like that.
0: By the way, $3 million for two seasons would have been a hell of a bargain for Texas A&M. Oh, I'm for honestly sure. surprised Kevin yeah. Sumlin balked at it. Uh, I mean, he, he, he was the 22nd overall draft pick by the Cleveland Browns, something like that, and signed for $4.3 million was his signing bonus. So, I mean – you know, one lick right there with Cleveland, yeah. and he and he blew it literally pretty quickly. Um, did Manzel, but you know that would have been a hell of a bargain three million dollars, two years of Johnny football. You signed right up for it.
1: Yeah, I mean the return on investment Im- immensely, instantly, almost just would have. I mean, it would have put you over in the green space in the
0: plus. Now, when I first read this article, I was like, hmm, this guy's a sleazeball. Be it that being the coach or the dad. Um, But I've known for a while the dad was a sleazeball. Oh, yeah. I mean, based off the documentary that we had when he made that comment about Kevin Sumlin where he was like, I handed my son to this guy, and he was supposed to turn him into a man, and I come back, and everything's all out of whack. I'm like, what, sir? What are you talking about? It's his job to turn your boy into a man. That's yours. Yeah, the (laughs)
2: football coach that dealt with your son for three years was supposed to do what you're supposed to do in 18.
0: Yeah, I gave him a borderline alcoholic, and he came out a Coke fiend. What the hell, Kevin Sumlin? <laughs> yeah,
1: You weren't <laughs> holding his hand going downtown to the bars? Like, what yeah. the heck, bro? You, like, come on.
0: That was the quote that's gotten, like, hella viral, hella viral. When he's talking to Shannon about how he was 210 pounds at the uh, Cleveland Browns, and when he, uh, you know, I guess hit his rock bottom in Vegas, he was 170 pounds. Mm-hmm. And Shannon said, <laughs> "Shannon said, how do you how do you lose forty pounds?" And Johnny Manziel Because, "Well, I was on a stern diet of Coke <laughs> or yeah. blow." What did he say? I was strict, on a ster- strict, strict diet, diet, diet of blow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa! That's a Johnny Manziel
1: sentence if I've ever heard one.
0: Yeah, and he was very very uh, casual about such statements, but nah, the the, the six hundred dollars definitely not, would have not been enough. For Johnny Mazzell and I love that he's back in the media scene or at least back in the limelight because you know he took kind of a hiatus there mm-hmm. for about a half a decade it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, his first public appearance that I saw was a couple years ago he was one of the honorary SEC players that they do at the SEC championship game. Mm. and yeah. of, of course he got one of the loudest pops and it, in Texas A&M was nowhere to be involved with the game and he still got a massive pop so this is one of those guys that resonated across all fan bases and I'm glad to see He's uh, comfortable enough coming back out into the media and relieving, or uh, you know, giving out some of these stories because they're good shit. Mm, Yeah, Yeah. definitely good content to talk about. Absolutely, the dad man, the dad sleazeball. Um, All right, let's talk about this Saban and DeBoer stuff that's going on. So, um, I guess it was ESPN in Tuscaloosa week. Is that what it was? I guess so. I see. You know, ESPN has kind of dialed back their journalism department. They don't do a lot of writing no more. Um, so much so that I think if you go on their college football page right now, it's like maybe an article a day type, type of, uh, you know, output going on up there. But this week was a multiple article week coming out of Tuscaloosa. So like I said, it just must have been one of them weeks. Um, this first article that we're going to talk about is actually a pretty lengthy article done on Kalen DeBoer, kind of his first, um, I'm not going to say pub piece, but kind of his first, Hey, come meet the Alabama coach. They gave us tremendous access listen to us say great things about this guy. And amongst the great things said about this guy, there was a question from ESPN prompted to Kalen DeBoer about, hey, how has the conversations or how have the conversations gone with Coach Saban? Obviously, this big shadow being left from the greatest college football coach of all time. How has this kind of shadow, how has this relationship gone about developing between you um, and obviously Nick Saban? And DeBoer's answer immediately was, Well, I haven't even had the opportunity to sit down with him face-to-face and even have a conversation. So when I read that, I thought, well, obviously these guys' schedules are pretty busy despite the fact that Nick Saban has just retired, been doing a lot of golfing, uh, doing a lot of body surfing on the beach, yada, yada, yada. But – to me, it really – we spent a lot of time when the, the, the retirement and the hire was first announced. We spent a lot of time talking about, hey, what is Saban's role going to be? He's got an office inside the stadium and inside the facility, You know, obviously going to still remain around the Tuscaloosa area and live there because he's got businesses there. But what is the relationship going to be like? What is this shadow going to be like? How big of a casted shadow is there going to be? I think we got a little bit of our answer today, guys, in this reporting. No contact. I mean, he's been there a month, and they have yet to have a, an informal a sit-down meeting of the minds. So, I think that kind of checks the box here. Yeah, this- it
1: seems like if Nick Saban was going to have a heavy dipping of his hand in the mix of all this, it would be – this last month would have been a great opportunity for him and Saban to sit down of just understanding the roster that he's getting involved with, especially with players hitting the portal. Like, how did you manage these things? Like, like, how do I need to meet the – how can I meet the needs of these kids that you just spent the last three, four, even one year with? Help me better understand this roster and kind of how things operate around here, even down to the boosters that you now have to adore to and talk up to. I mean, so if they aren't talking over this last month, which we know that – it is a busy schedule, getting accommodated different things, different stages of life. I think we did get a good glimpse of what that
2: relationship is going to be. This might, skeptical. this might be very tinfoil hat of me,
0: but just lip service.
2: Yeah, like what if De- Kalen DeBoer is completely lying and him and Saban have yeah. had multiple meetings? I mean, I don't know what he has to gain from saying that they haven't met, other than him creating the identity. Of, this is my power. yeah. This is my program. Saban has nothing to do with it. Me and him have never even talked. I haven't sat down with him once. He's doing his own thing. I'm doing mine. I'm worrying about building this team up. But I mean, why? I don't know. I just I find it hard to believe that you have not at least reached out at least once to the greatest college football coach of all time, who is at your disposal, has an office in the building, still supposedly. You haven't reached out once and talked to him about
0: anything. I no, don't know if I believe that. there might have been a phone call or six or seven or right. eighteen, but there has not been a is. They're not watching film together. Yeah, you know what I mean? they're wait, not wait, wait. sitting in the in the building and then the facility chopping it up. Hey, coach, how did you go about doing this? What's what's the quote again? I haven't. Basically, there the, 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 I don't have the direct quote, but the the summation of the quote is both of our schedules are so busy we haven't had an opportunity to even sit down.
2: There it is. Even sit down. I guarantee they have had multiple phone
0: calls with yeah. each other.
1: I don't know, man. Kirby Smart said he didn't get a text back until this year after a few years, so maybe he didn't. I don't know.
0: How busy I, do you think Nick Saban's phone is? Oh, gosh. You know? I mean, it's got to be – I don't even want to know. It's probably super busy. What if he was, like, a shockingly good texter? <laughs> Doubt it. Very doubtful, I bet. Nick Saban bet. still has a jitterbug. That,
2: <laughs>
0: that man's
1: still got a beeper.
0: I don't have a single family member, relative, friend, uh, acquaintance over the age of, like, 50 that texts me that I don't think I've pissed off. Like, P- why are you so mad? Period. I mean, why, why are you so mad? I'm not. I just don't like texting. I, um,
1: okay. I texted my grandpa happy birthday yesterday, actually. It was his birthday yesterday. And I just sent him a happy birthday text and everything. And he's still very new to texting. Like, he just got an iPhone, like, less than a year ago. So, I sent him his happy birthday text, and he goes, thanks, period. I was like... <laughs> Love you too, Grandpa. Yeah, love love that. you too. That, that, that's how it that, is. That
2: that's different. how he shows love, though.
0: I guess that shit hit different right there. <laughs> um, all right. Apparently, let me. I just saw a news flash hit right here. ESPN EA Sports has reportedly begun offering contracts to college football players in a, one of the largest NIL deals ever. It's just out here pubbing up a six hundred dollar deal. Congrats. Yes, EA Sports has signed a seven million dollar NIL deal. It is the second largest ever signed behind Nico. So that that's a lie. That's a lie. One player got more NIL money than all college football players. So, how about that? We, we got some Brooks' mic levels a little low. Maybe, maybe bump that up just a tad. All right. Just Just for shiggles. Um, don't do it too, too much. Um, but it is what it is. All right. So, I think maybe part of the reason, Kirby, that Saban hasn't had one of these mystical meetings mm-hmm. with DeBoer is because Saban himself has been a little busy. Between playing golf, like we mentioned, hmm. and and the the boogie boarding and you know actually being a, a grandfather and, and a dad and all that stuff catching up on lost time um, he's also very obviously and clearly lobbying to be the decision maker of whatever next commissioning job opens up if there is one that comes open if the, a super league may uh, be you know created and, and here's what tipped me off to this like I said it was ESPN write an article about Alabama week this week and here is the quote, Um, this is how this article about Nick Saban opens up. And, again, as someone who's done some of these profile pieces, particularly I've never done one on the greatest football coach of all time, but I would imagine he had some input on how this thing went about or how this thing sounded and how this thing was worded, so much so that it was very clear from the rip of what they were here to talk about today in this article. Here's the opening paragraph. Nick Saban is retired from coaching, but he emphasized Wednesday that he isn't retiring from doing his part to help bring some reform. Uniformity and, quote, common sense to college football and the lingering chaos surrounding the sport. Coach Saban said, quote, if my voice can bring about some meaningful change, I want to help any way I can because I love the players and I love college football, Saban told ESPN. What we have now is not college football, not college football as we know it. You hear someone use the word student athlete. That doesn't exist. So that was the opening of this article, kind of forelaying or, or you know, portraying what, what what is about to happen in this article, which is Nick Saban finna tell you what he thinks about the nature of college football and the state of college football, and he goes into this discussion about how the, the education system has been devalued, how he thinks that some of these men are going to be 28, 29 years old and look back and realize they didn't actually get an education because they were worried so much about how much money that they can make or, or playing time at a new place. And he, and he starts talking about that and it transitions into player mobility and it being, you know, somewhat of an issue in college football. And then he really, really hones in on his point and really, really hones in on the issues at hand and and the areas of correction that are needed in college football. Um, and, And here's where his stance is. Quote, and it's obviously about name, image, and likeness. But what you, And this is him talking, but what you have now isn't name, image, and likeness. A collective has nothing to do with name, image, and likeness, Saban said. That's a stone-cold fact. Saban said he would like to see any player compensation model that is created to be brought in-house at the various schools and taken away from donor-based collectives. Of course, this brings in issues with Title IX. And here is where Commissioner Saban dropped a bomb. Dropped a bomb that was unbeknownst to me. Maybe some other people on other networks have been talking about it. But I never thought about this proposition that may save and sanctify college football. Quote, people can give money to the university again and get a tax deduction for doing it. And the university in some kind of way shares, whether it's revenue sharing, whether it's buying the marketing rights, which is a possibility, Saban suggested. You can buy somebody's marketing rights as an institution, and I don't want to say cap because that sounds like a salary cap, but find a way for schools to invest in the same amount of money in players just like everybody can invest in the same amount of money in scholarships That becomes a part of the scholarship. So what Coach Saban is talking about right here is a relatively revolutionary idea in the sense that, hey, we treat these players not as employees, but as stock options, essentially, as things that we can purchase the rights to, and then therefore get and bypass the antitrust lawsuits which is the ball of yarn that is the major problem here boys with the ncaa it's all antitrust violations which means they can't actually put any type of sanctions and regulations on them however if you purchase the name image and likeness if you purchase the licensing rights of all of these individual individual players for a set and determined fee now they basically sign a contract that will allow regulation and stipulations placed upon these athletes.
2: So let me see if I understand this correctly. It's essentially pay to play, but you're not paying them to play. You're, pay, you're paying them so that you can say this name, image, and likeness is being used. That's the flat rate fee you playing paying. And that's kind of where this, this money is going to come in for a salary, quote unquote. Correct. Without but- actually paying the college players to play the game.
0: Purchasing the licensing rights to the individuals removes the need for the antitrust lawsuits, which will ultimately open up the doors for a regulation, which is the whole goal of this, is to get some type of regulation mm-hmm. so these singular states aren't running upon their own NIL codes, okay? Um, and the reason there has not been any type of nationwide sanctions or any nationwide regulations is because the NCAA doesn't allow or have the ability to do so because of this right here. However, the moment Johnny Smith, the five-star, signs a licensing agreement, O.V., they might as well consider him a, an employee. He will receive his licensing payment. Um, that's a whole other discussion. And whatever the licensing uh, you know, value is set on, whatever the cap, as he mentioned, is set at, let's call it $100,000. Is that $100,000 check wrote and given to that kid in August for the calendar year of his licensing like it would be in any other deal? Like if you purchase this show, you purchase it either bi-monthly or monthly or you purchase it for the annual year. How right. would they go about doing that contract, that, that structure? That's a little bit different as well. But I I didn't hate it. I didn't hate the idea of saying, hey, but here's the problem. How do you establish that price point? And where does that price point yeah. come from?
2: How do you establish a price point? Where does that price point come from? And then, I mean, the, the, the glaring problem of every single solution I've seen to this and I don't know how you solve it, is how do you stop underneath deals from going on? Under-the-table deals.
0: As Johnny said, that shit been going on for years. Yeah, and, and, I, think, and, ever. and
2: I think in an ideal world, because I mean, like, the under-the-table deals you're seeing now are collectives coming in and basically buying players from other rosters in yeah. order to poach them from the transfer portal and, and things such as that. And I think that's the main issue that all college football fans want to see stopped. And I just don't know how you're going to stop underneath under-the-table shady. Deals. Like, there's the old, the, the adage is, like, oh, NIL ruined college football. It really did. And the fact that teams can basically buy ros- buy players off of rosters is what's ruining it, in my opinion. I'll
0: tell you this much. It is much, much harder for me to give you $200,000 in cash than it is for me to give you $200,000 in monthly installments spread out over 12 months through a bank. For sure. that 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 would be my limitations to this. It's like, hey, yeah we can still do all these backwater back channel payments, but the, now they all have to be in cash because there can't be any paper trail. And that immediately mm-hmm. is gonna decrease the amount of those things that happened. Granted, it happened forever right. previously, but what we're entering now is where every player gets X amount of dollars. The old bag system was Johnny got a bag, Mike Evans probably got a bag, and then the rest of the team was out here still being a Mm student-athlete. You know what I mean? Like, prior to NIL, everybody wasn't getting paid. The best players were, and that was it, um, which is a different story nowadays. So
2: so it's essentially going to create a system where your middle-of-the-road players aren't as susceptible to getting bought off other rosters or things such as that. But. Your star players, your your five star that's sitting on the bench right now is probably still susceptible. Just because the under the table shit can still go on.
0: Not if your marketing department's good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this will, if this were to go through, or some type of regulation like this, if it were to go through, this would place the onus on brand awareness, your marketability, like actual name, image, and likeness, actual marketability, like we thought this was going to be. You know what I mean? Starting quarterback signs a deal with Zaxby's. Starting quarterback's on the Dr. Pepper commercial. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Malachi Stark's got a Powerade commercial. Like, I thought when this was opening the doors to advertisement revenue, we all thought that's what it was going to be. That is not what it has become. It has become a collective, which, as Coach Statement said in these comments, a collective ain't got shit to do with name, image, and likeness. It has everything to do with pay-for-play. And, by the way, I think boosters – would be fond of this because now the money that they're asking for will go directly into actual, you know, improvements on the school, not, you know, a a payment plan for a kid who may transfer in six months. Like, could you imagine having to have picked up the NIL bill on AJ Harris? Ouch. Probably wouldn't feel good. You probably wouldn't be, you know, willing to be out here delving out money the next time they call you for something. So that's the way I look at it.
1: I mean, yeah, nobody wants to be pouring money into anything that they don't have any certainty in and they really have no idea the trajectory of it. And like at any moment, it could just vanish. And like all of a sudden, that money that you tried putting it into that is no longer there and your investment is no longer intact. And especially knowing that, like, sure, you might be asked to give this money to this program or this collective or this person affiliated with the program, but you really have no idea where exactly that money is going in a sense of. I'm giving X amount of dollars to the University of Georgia, but I really have no idea how that money is being spread out across the Yeah, how do I even the brag
0: to Tommy next to me when my player scores a touchdown? Yeah. You know what I mean? All right, um, put that schedule up on the board. All right. Put that schedule up on this screen for these audience members because this sucker is brutal. Uh, Florida's 2024 schedule is as bad as anyone that I've seen in college football, probably history. Um, I got asked about this the other day on another show. Maybe, maybe some of them FSU and Miami schedules in the mid-90s when they actually did out-of-conference mm-hmm. scheduling, you know, when there was that tuffle between the Big East and and, uh, and the, uh, the ACC and all that good stuff. Um, but th- this schedule right here from Florida is as bad as it gets. And, and what I want to do, gentlemen, is I want to go through this pretty quickly. What's up?
1: I'm trying to make sure that's the right schedule. Because I don't see Oklahoma or Texas on it. I right. may have put the wrong one.
0: <laughs> All right. If you did put the wrong one, go find the right one and put it on the main board up there. and We'll walk over there and do it like we talked That's about I mean. doing it. Um, you're good. But anyways, before, as as he, you know, efforts to get that schedule back up on the board, what I wanted to talk about is instead of just going through here like we're going to and pick the wins and losses, I want to talk about whether or not Billy survives this. Obviously, Billy Napier will be going into his third season as the Florida head football coach next year. Um, I believe he's still without an official offensive coordinator. He's going to still do those um, duties this year, if my memory serves me correct. I think so, Um, And he's got one of the more brutal schedules in the history of college football, and he's doing so with a five-star quarterback um, in DJ Lagway who's going to be sitting on the bench waiting for the last year of Graham Mertz to finalize.
2: Yeah, I think the DJ Lagway thing is going to be what really hurts his outlook overall because I don't think DJ Lagway is going to start Day one, week one, and Mertz played too good last year. Yeah, and well, the immediate thing is fans are going to start going, where the hell is DJ Lagway? Why is he not starting? Why is he? And even if you don't start DJ Lagway, and you get to week four, and you say, hey, DJ Lagway was the guy. Now it becomes, what took you so long? Why? What took you so long to make this decision? This is why you're a bad coach because DJ Lagway should have been starting day one. Mm. So I think he's really put himself in a bad corner here. Where if DJ, I mean. It, Dj Having a player like DJ Lagway, as talented as he is, is essential on a roster. But you're also in a bad corner at a disadvantage because if you start him day one and he shows that he's a freshman, so Graham Mertz was fine last year. DJ Lagway is not ready. Billy Napier's a bad coach. If you start Graham Mertz the entire season and then go five and seven, then the problem is why didn't we start DJ Lagway at all? He, he, Billy Napier's a bad coach. A, if, you bench, if you bench Graham Mertz in the middle of the season, what took you saw on Billy Napier's a bad coach? So I think there, he's, there's no real avenue
0: um to me it's far more it three over the board um to me it's far more about the, the style of how they go about playing this schedule I don't know if it's necessarily the wins and losses that will get him fired it's the matter in which they happen um that will ultimately get him fired if he does but here, here's my thing the stuff around Graham Mertz better improve this year because I didn't think Graham Mertz had a terrible time last year playing quarterback at, at Florida I thought he outperformed anybody's thought process of what he was going to be. Now, it helps that everyone thought he was going to suck, but um, I thought he played relatively well last year. Um, But the the, the thing to me is, if the quarterback play was above average last year and your team wasn't, then why am I to assume that just because you plug DJ Lagway in, things are going to get better? So, in my opinion, everything around the quarterback room better get better. Let's look at the schedule right quick.
1: I mean, you're getting in the same conversation that you kind of had when Anthony Richardson was a quarterback, where you have this obviously immensely talented quarterback, but everything else around him isn't exactly great, and it didn't really produce like maybe you hoped it would.
0: So what I'm going to do, because it's Florida, I'm going to go through here, and I'm going to label the pushes, the games that we can't automatically give you as a win, okay? Like these right here. Okay. We all agree. Is there any more pushes in there where they're coin flips? You can't ag- like automatically mark they're going to beat that football are program. You, I'm,
2: I'm assuming you're marking Ole Miss as a loss.
0: We're going to get to it. We're going to we're going to go okay. through those. Um, but let's talk. Let's put checks next to the wind. We we believe they're going to beat Sanford. Correct. They better. And is there another gimme on that schedule? There is not. Not no. really. There is not another gimme on that schedule. All right. Um. What's up? Who you who, who are you circling? Miss. Mississippi, Mississippi State,
2: State under Jeff Levy in year one might be all right. Pretty so
0: we're gonna we're just gonna be nice and we're gonna give them a check right here at Mississippi State. We, so we found two wins. All right, opening the season against Miami. Miami gonna be starting Cam Ward first game, um, and obviously Graham Mertz and, and the boys gonna be handling uh, this opening matchup against Miami. It's week zero right here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's in Florida, I believe. Well, all well in, it's in. I think.
0: I think is it a neutral site game or is it?
2: No, it's in Gainesville.
0: It's in Gainesville. No,
2: yeah, it's in Gainesville.
0: I, I don't love Miami at all. Yeah. yeah. All right. This what, feels, what do we like that? Yeah, we'll, we'll that feels like that
2: feels like one of those. And I'll go ahead and mm-hmm. just tell you how I feel about this. I think Florida comes out kind of strong.
0: So you think they are a And M as well?
2: Yeah, I think there's a very real chance they're three and one, four and one, going going into Tennessee.
0: Okay. Maybe five and zero. They're Maybe, gonna drop one of these games. They could. One be of these games are getting lost. Yes. Maybe two.
2: Possibly. That that's the weird thing about this schedule is that there's a lot of like, oh, that's a loss, but then every other game literally every other game is well, they could win that game, but they could also lose it, with the exception of Samford.
0: They're gonna finish the season with five straight losses? Most likely. And those How do you survive hold on, before we go into there, how do you even survive that?
1: That's what yeah. And the fact that there's a very high possibility that all five are ugly losses. Yeah. Like, you go into all five of those games, and you just get your brains beat out.
0: Let's say you lose each game. Well, this one will be close. This one's always close. That Florida LSU game's always close. Let's say you lose each of these games by close to three scores. You're cooked. You're cooked. Absolutely right? cooked. You have to play those tight. It doesn't matter what the quarterback play looks like. doesn't matter how promising DJ Lagway is during camp. doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, I think at the bare minimum, you have to lose those games with
0: some grace. Yeah, you and better I, fight. I That's think the, the thing. To close, this, to close this schedule, his team better play hard.
2: I And I think the one thing Billy Napier has on his side, for the most part, is everyone knows how hard of a schedule this is, and everyone is coming in with low expectations for Florida. Like, if Florida comes out and goes 6-6, six and six, people are going to look around and go, damn, you know, Billy Napier kind of did a good job this year. That schedule was supposed to be really hard and –
0: if they're going six and six, they better find it in those football games.
2: For sure, take care of Oklahoma. <laughs> That's what that is. But Ooh. I mean, even like you said, like they could, they could sneak up on an LSU. They, I mean, Florida State, Florida is always a rivalry game. I, I don't know.
0: Even when Florida's bad, they play LSU tight. They always have. I feel mm-hmm. like.
2: And it's at home, so.
0: I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy.
2: Honestly, like
1: two. If you, get, if you go and get blown out by Georgia again, I mean, every single Florida – like, you hear it every single year when Georgia and Florida play and Georgia beats Florida, it's, oh, we're either closing the gap or we're not. And if they don't feel like that they're closing the gap against Georgia, like, kind of their measuring stick, if you will, of, like, obviously this is what we aspire to be. We aspire to be at the top of the SEC, one of these major keynote programs. If you don't feel like you've closed the gap at all over the span of three years, I think that's when people are going to start drawing the line in the sand.
0: Does he survive? I feel like, uh,
2: I want to say yes, just because like everyone you know what expects doesn't help
0: him. His fan base thinks he's a lame duck. Exactly. His fan yeah, base there's thinks no he's a lame duck. Talk talk to a Florida fan that's out here thinking that Billy Napier is going to be the guy. Find me him. I promise you, it's going to be hard. Florida fans listening to this right now are like, yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to yeah. the next one.
2: The only thing that trips me up on it is, like I said, if they go six and six. Which, I mean, is all things considered. I mean, even if they go 5-7 and seven and they win a game that, hell, maybe if they upset Texas or Tennessee or something like that. Like, how quickly does a fan base look around from having such low expectations and go, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're better than we thought we were this year. Maybe Billy Napier should get a second chance going into 2025 when the schedule's more manageable and when we have the five-star quarterback. So I think that's kind of what's got me held up on saying he doesn't survive at all. But I think it's going to be very hard.
0: I just think, to me, people are getting consumed in the quarterback. Yeah, Like, he didn't have bad quarterback play last year. Everything else was the problem. Everything else was the problem. And if everything else remains the problem, D.J. Lagway is not going to fix that. If you are a bad team with great quarterback play, you're still a bad team, Um, unless he's Cam Newton three. Yeah,
1: I, I I even think that if you win six games, like say you start off three and zero, you grab one against UCF, you grab one against Mississippi State, and you beat Kentucky, and you got six wins heading into that late slate. I don't, I don't care that you have six wins. I don't care that you're bowl eligible. Nobody's going to care because if you end that season the way that we think you're going to, and plus, like, we can say that, oh, the expectation is that they aren't going to be bowl eligible, but that's also because, like, we're not attached to this program or anything like that. Yeah. The people that are attached to that program, they don't give a damn about going to the Gasparilla Bowl again. They really yeah. don't. They don't care that you're going to be bowl eligible, I don't think, at least.
0: All righty, ladies and gentlemen, we have a whole nother hour coming up for you, and we are going to try to get to the bottom of what's going on over at Georgia State uh, with Georgia running backs coach Dale McGee.